Oh, that was very abrupt. I cut out very abruptly. Anyway, it's uh, Wednesday, the 2nd of October, 2019. Uh, And once again, this is Call of the Weird, broadcasting from the bunker at www.bighitsradio.uk. And tonight we're looking at the work of one Colin Henry Wilson, born 26th of June 1931. He was an English writer, philosopher and novelist. He also wrote widely on true crime, mysticism and the paranormal, eventually writing more than 100 books. Wilson called his philosophy New Existentialism, or Feminological Existentialism, and maintained his life work was that of a philosopher. And his purpose was to create a new and optimistic existentialism. I can almost say that. He was born on the 26th of June 1931 in Leicester, the first child of author and Annette Wilson. His father worked in a shoe factory. At the age of 11, he attended Gateway Secondary Technical School, where his interest in science began to blossom. By the age of 14, he'd compiled a multi-volume work of essays covering many aspects of science, entitled A Manual of General Science. By the time he left school at 16, his interests were already switching to literature. His discovery of George Bernard Shaw's work, particularly Man and Superman, was a landmark. He started to write stories, plays and essays in earnest. A long sequel to Man and Superman made him consider himself to be Shaw's natural successor. No false modesty there. Uh, There he married his first wife, uh, Betty Troop, and moved to London, where his son was born. But the marriage rapidly disintegrated as he drifted in and out of several jobs. During this traumatic period, Wilson was continually working and reworking the novel that was eventually published in 1960. This was entitled Ritual in the Dark. He also met three young writers who became close friends, Bill Hopkins, Stuart Holroyd, and Laura Del Rivo. Another trip to Europe followed, and he spent some time in Paris attempting to sell magazine subscriptions. Returning to Leicester again, he met Joyce Stewart, later to become his second wife and mother of their three children, who accompanied him to London. There he continued to work on Rich on the Dark, receiving some advice from Angus Wilson, then Deputy Superintendent of the British Museum's reading room, and slept rough in a sleeping bag on Hampstead Heath to save money. On Christmas Day 1954, alone in his room, he sat down in his bed and began to write in his journal. He described his feelings as follows. It struck me that I was in the possession of so many of my favourite characters in fiction. Dostoevsky's Rosalnikov, Rilke's uh, Brigge, the young writer in Hampson's Hunger, alone in my room, feeling totally cut off from the rest of society. It was not a possession I relished, yet an inner compulsion had forced me into this position of isolation. I began writing about it in my journal, trying to pin it down. And then quite suddenly I saw that I had the makings of a book. I turned to the back of my journal and wrote at the head of the page, Notes for a Book, The Outsider in Literature. The Outsider was published by uh, Victor Glantz, um, and it was published in 1956. The work examines the rule of the social outsider in seminal works, by various key literary and cultural figures, such as Albert Camus, Jean-Paul Sartre, Ernest Hemingway, Herman Hesse, Fedor Dostoevsky, William James, T.E. Lawrence, uh, and Vincent van Gogh, and discovers, sorry, discusses Wilson's 
perception of social alienation in their work. The book became a bestseller and helped popularise existentialism in Britain. It's never been out of print and has been translated into more than 30 languages. The back cover of the 2001 paperback edition reads, In the Outsider, Wilson rationalised the psychological dislocation so characteristic of Western creative thinking, and he rationalised it into a coherent theory of alienation, and defined those affected by it as a type. This he called the outsider. Through the works of various artists, Wilson explored the psyche of the outsider, his effect on society and society's effect on him. Nothing has happened in the past four decades that has made the outsider any less relevant. Wilson became associated with the angry young men of British literature. He contributed to Declaration, an anthology of manifestos by writers associated with the movement, and was also anthologised in a popular paperback sampler, Protest, The Beat Generation and The Angry Young Men. The success of The Outsider notwithstanding, Wilson's second book, Religion and the Rebel, uh, which came out in 1957, was universally panned by critics, although Wilson himself claimed it was a more comprehensive book than the first one. Whilst The Outsider was focused on documenting the subject of mental strain and near insanity, Religion and the Rebel was focused on how to expand our consciousness and transform us into visionaries. Time magazine published a review headlined Scrambled Egghead that pilloried the book. By the late 1960s, Wilson had become increasingly interested in metaphysical and occult themes. In 1971, he published The Occult, A History, featuring interpretations on Alistair Crowley, George Gideoff, Helena, Helena Balladovsky, Kabbalah, Primitive Magic, Franz Mesmer, Gregory Rasputin, Daniel Douglas, uh, and amongst others. He wrote a markedly unsympathetic biography of Crowley, Alistair Crowley, The Nature of the Beast, and has written biographies on other spiritual and psychological visionaries, including Carl Jung, William Reich, Rudolf Steiner, and P.D. Opensky. Originally, Wilkinson focused on the cultivation of what he called faculty X, which he saw as leading to an increased sense of meaning and an ability such as telepathy and the awareness of other energies. In his later work, he suggests the possibility of life after death and the existence of spirits, which he personally analyses as an active member of the Ghost Club. He also wrote non-fiction books in crime, ranging from encyclopedias to studies of serial killing. He had an ongoing interest in the life and times of Jack the Ripper and uh, serial killers in Wilson explored his ideas on human potential and consciousness in his fiction, uh, which is mostly detective fiction or science fiction, including several um, pieces that referenced uh, H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu uh, mythos. Um, he often wrote a non-fiction work and a novel concurrently as a way of putting his ideas into action. He says, for me, fiction is a matter of philosophizing. Philosophy may only be a shadow of the reality it tries to grasp, but, but the novel is altogether more satisfactory. I am almost tempted to say no philosopher is qualified uh, to do the job, unless he's also a novelist. I would certainly exchange any of the works of Whitehead or Wittgenstein for the novels that they ought to have written. 
like some of his non-fiction work, many of Wilson's novels, from Ritual in the Dark, published in 1960, onwards have been concerned with the psychology of murder, especially that of serial killing. However, he's also written science fiction of a philosophical bent, including The Mind Parasites, The Philosopher's Stone, The Space Vampires, and the four-volume Spider-World series, Spider-World The Tower, Spider-World The Delta, and Spider-World The Magician, uh, which these novels were described by one critic as an artistic achievement of the highest order, destined to be regarded as one of the central products of the 20th century imagination. Wilson wrote the Spider World series in response to a suggestion made him by Roald Dahl to write a novel for children. He also said he'd like to be remembered as the man who wrote Spider World. In The Strength of the Dream in 1961, Wilson attacked H.P. Lovecraft as sick and a bad writer who had rejected reality, but he grudgingly praised Lovecraft's story The Shadow Out of Time as capable science fiction. August Derleuf, incensed by Wilson's treatment of Lovecraft in The Strength of the Dream, then dared Wilson to write what became The Mind Parasites to expound his philosophical ideas in the guise of fiction. In the preface to The Mind Parasites, Wilson concedes that Lovecraft, far more than Hemingway or Faulkner or even Kafka, is a symbol of the outsider artist in the 20th century, and asks what would have happened if Lovecraft had possessed a private income. Enough sight allow him to spend his winters in Italy and his summers in Greece or Switzerland, answering that in his opinion uh, he would undoubtedly have produced less, but what he did produce would have been highly polished, without the pulp magazine cliches that disfigure so much of his work, and he would have given free rein to his love of curious and remote erudition, so that his work would have been in some respects closer to that of Anatole France and the contemporary Argentinian writer George Lias Borges. Wilson also discussed Lovecraft in Order of Assassins and in The Philosopher's Stone. His short novel The Return of the Liger also has roots in the Cthulhu mythos. Its central character works on the real book, the Volnach manuscript, but discovers it to be a medieval Arabic version of H.P. Lovecraft's The Necromonicon, which was described as the most forbidden book in the world, or the most dangerous book in the world. Um, his critics gave a bit of a mixed reception. Um, some said um, that he was one of the great challenges to um, 20th century literature, but other people thought he was a, bit, a little bit self-obsessed. And um, indeed, science fiction writer Martin Gardner saw Wilson as an intelligent writer but duped by paranormal claims. He thought he was too gullible. He once commented that Con bought it all. With unparalleled egotism and scientific ignorance, he believed almost everything he read about the paranormal, no matter how outrageous. Gardner described Wilson's book The Geller Phenomenon, um, which references Yuri Geller, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, he wasn't too impressed. Um, he said it was the most gullible book ever written about the Israeli charlatan. Gardner concluded that Wilson had decayed into an occult eccentric, writing books for the lunatic fringe. The psychologist Dorothy Rowe gave Wilson's book The Men of Mystery a negative review and wrote that it does nothing to advance research into the paranormal. In 2016, the first full-length biography of Wilson revealing his entire life's work 
Beyond the Robot, The Life and Work of Colin Wilson by Gary Lackman. He was formerly um, of, of, of the band Blondie, um, but now, now he writes in a lot of sort of occult and, and esoteric matters. Um, he received, it received a positive endorsement from Philip Pullman um, of the, the Golden Compass film. He wrote that Wilson was always far better and more interesting than fashionable opinion claimed. And in Lackman, he found a biographer who can respond to the whole range of his work of sympathy and understanding in a style that, much like Wilson's own, is always immensely readable. Michael Derda in the Washington Post called Wilson a controversial writer. He explored the nature of human consciousness in dozens of books and said that Lackman, Gary Lackman of Blondie, uh, a leading student of the Western esoteric tradition also wrote with exceptional grace forcefulness and clarity so yeah um i always liked colin wilson he was introduced uh me by a chum of mine um because he says oh well it'd be good for the call of the weird it'd be good for research purposes um because um he wrote books in the occult and all this sort of thing like compendiums and he did a very good one about you know the history of crime from prehistory up to the present day it's absolutely fascinating um, and Savage Messiah actually is very good as well. And he, uh, in Savage Messiah, he looks at the phenomenon of cults and what makes a cult later, and, and you know the whole psychological kind of side of, of how that develops. So it's it's well worth picking up. So um, yes, I would say uh, Mr. Con Wilson, the existentialist, almost like a British version of Camus. You could, you know, actually, well, yeah. Yeah, you could argue that. Yeah, in, in some ways, it's like a, a, an English version of, of Albert Camus. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a, a slightly highbrow version of of Call of the Weird tonight. It's quite, it's gone quite radio four. It's quite literary tonight. But you know, it's no bad thing for it. I think we could all maybe maybe stretch ourselves a bit. But anyway, um, enough of all that sort of stuff, and um, we'll play some more pop tunes. Um, obviously, if you're listening to the podcast. You'll be like, what's he on about? There's no pop tunes. But uh, due to legal restrictions, um, we can't obviously put that on the uh, podcast. Otherwise, it'll end up getting my arse. Sorry, my, my bottom side off. I shouldn't say that. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, it's been Call of the Weird. And um, if you enjoyed this podcast, you might like the Andy and Lynn Show podcast available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. Just search for Andy and Lynn or tune in live every Saturday to BigHitsRadio.uk.